On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. So with, with safer streets, uh, with great local schools, uh, with fantastic uh, broadband, uh, uh, forgive me. Today on the Indo-Daily, Boris Johnson's bungles, buffoonery and botch-ups have left him in quite the bind. Yesterday I went, as we all must, to, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Pans? I've been anyone who's been to Peppa Pig World. I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. And, and I... I have a thing where I make models of buses. Now I paint the passengers enjoying themselves okay, great. on the wonderful bus. Great. The latest scandal around a Downing Street Christmas party has resulted in investigations, resignations and recriminations. I'm Fionn Sheehan, and today I'm talking to Gavin Esler, journalist, author and broadcaster, and John Downing, Irish independent political correspondent, about whether this is the final straw for Bojo. Gavin Esler, this time two years ago, Boris Johnson had just won a landslide victory in the UK general election, an 80-seat majority with the, the Tories. He he looked unstoppable. And here we are two years on and potentially career-threatening uh, incidents happening all around him. Tell us about the Downing Street Christmas party and, and why is it causing such such trouble for the Prime Minister? Yeah, well, I think the interesting question is why he didn't get into trouble for other, you might have thought, more serious things in the past. I mean, in 2019, as you rightly say, two years ago, he was riding high. It was a brilliant year for him. He became prime minister. He won an 80-seat majority. All looked great. 2020 was um, uh, the year in which he was supposed to get Brexit done and various other things. He failed to do that. As we've seen, he failed on, on, on Afghanistan. He failed with relations with the European Union. He failed on Northern Ireland, uh, unpicking the agreement that he, he made and said was excellent and within weeks saying, saying the opposite. So uh, in some ways, the surprise is that none of those huge errors, because these are such serious issues, and yet both a party perhaps a pub quiz will bring him down because those things have really cut through. And I think part of it is that everybody 
who, whether you like Johnson or not, people understood that he was was a bit of a phony. I mean, this whole sort of never combing his hair or he would go into, I know I've talked to many of the BBC and ITV makeup uh, people who said they would they would comb his hair for him and he'd mess it up before going on air. So he, 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 he is an act and people kind of factored that in. But what has really cut through is the idea that when 146,000 of our fellow citizens have died as a result of COVID, at a time a year ago when we were all under real restrictions, they were whooping it up in some way in Downing Street. And he not only was part of that, but he seems to have lied about it. And that really cuts through. The central allegation is that there was basically a party this time last year, and that has has rolled from there. Yeah, that's right. Now, I mean, he could have done something quite different. He could have said, uh, look, what happened was my staff are really hardworking. They probably had a few drinks at Christmas uh, in an office where they were working. I don't really think you can call it a party, but I apologize. He could have done that. Instead of which, he made it into something much, much bigger because it became about his credibility. And then we saw a video of his staff, after he denied there was a party, rehearsing how they would deal with press questions about it and doing so in a pretty cat-handed way because they were laughing. This fictional party was a business meeting. <laughs> and it was not socially distanced. Uh, I've just seen reports on Twitter that there was a Downing Street Christmas party on Friday night. Do you recognise those reports? <laughs> I went home. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Um, uh, uh... Would the Prime Minister condone uh, having a Christmas What's the answer? I don't know. I didn't know. Wasn't the party? It was cheese and wine. Just be clear, it's not. <laughs> There's cheese and wine, all right. It was a business meeting. And that just got to the very heart of uh, the deceptions that have been going on and much bigger things and made people who otherwise had given them a free pass think this guy perhaps is not fit to be prime minister. So we now have uh, Allegro Stratton, the the advisor who featured at the centre of that calamitous video. Uh, she resigns. Um, the British people have made immense sacrifices in the ongoing battle against COVID-19. I now fear that my comments in the leaked video of the 20th of December last year have become a distraction in that fight. My remarks seemed to make light of the rules. Rules that people were doing everything to obey. That was never my intention. I will regret those remarks for the rest of my days and now for my profound apologies to all of you at home for them. The, the cabinet office, which is basically the most, the senior civil service now conducting uh, an investigation uh, into whether or not an alleged party did or didn't take place, possibly maybe at some point last December involving maybe cheese and perhaps wine. So that's all gone on. And now there is the table quiz. Yes, exactly. And, you know, uh, I, I can't think of a more <laughs> English way of bringing somebody down than pub quizzes, which is what it looked like. I mean, it was he was remote, as it were. He was on Zoom or something, uh, but with other people who were clearly having a good time. Now, again, <laughs> this is this is something that if he had more credibility uh, in terms of being able to explain things, he might have just got away with it. But it comes, what is interesting, to me at least, is that within the Conservative Party, 
The real pressure he's under is over trying to get people to wear masks again and taking tougher decisions on coronavirus, because that is within the hard right of the Conservative Party, something that cuts through with them. Whereas the rest of the country is saying he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get how ordinary people have gone on in the past 18 months, tried to obey the rules, and he clearly, clearly not only has has either broken them or condoned breaking them, or his staff take it all very lightly. And as I say, that is the thing that has cut through, even though you may say there are, there are more important issues where he has also failed abysmally. John Downing, it, it's not just Christmas parties and quizzes that have Boris Johnson in, in trouble uh, at the moment. There's a whole pantomime of other incidents over the last 12, 18 months. In terms of COVID, we've had a series of bizarre comical but very serious incidents around Dominic Cummings, his advisor, wearing of masks, handshakes. I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody. Uh, you'll be pleased to know and, and I continue to shake hands. Tell us about Johnson's handling of the most serious pandemic of the past 100 years. Well, he's there since July 2019 and his first six months were trying to uh, <clears throat> trying to manage a huge political crisis. Remember, 2019, Britain was in a complete mess trying to cope with the whole thing. Wins a huge majority in December 2019, 80 seats or more, and things de- then begin to go wrong one after another. Dominic Cummings was with him for 18 months, and he's, he's only 12 months gone from that. He was a whole heap of trouble at the centre of it all. Uh, driving uh, to the north of England uh, in very questionable circumstances, driving back, uh, his explanations. Uh, this was at a time of lockdown when people weren't able to get to see their ill relatives and their dying relatives. And there's Cummings absolutely flouting the guidance of uh, the, the public health guidance and uh, then saying that he drove 40, 50 miles because he was doubtful of his eyesight. So you're doubtful about your eyesight, so obviously you drive 40, 50 miles instead of going to seek some medical help or guidance or something like that. On Sunday the 12th of April, 15 days after I first first displayed symptoms, I decided to return to work. My wife was very worried, particularly given my eyesight had seemed seemed to have been affected by the disease. She did not want to risk a nearly 300-mile drive with our child, given how ill I had been. We agreed that we should go for a short drive to see if I could drive safely. We drove for roughly half an hour and ended up on the outskirts of Barnard Castle town. We did not visit the castle, we did not walk around the town. We parked by a river. My wife and I discussed the situation. We agreed that I could drive safely. We should turn around and go home. And that's the kind of thing, the damage inflicted upon him by Dominic Cummings is actually very difficult to, to uh, discount. The, the formative year in the job, when Boris Johnson really discovered the extraordinary demands placed upon the modern prime minister and how you have to pay as much attention to little things as you do the big ticket items because you never really know where these things are going to land. He has, he rode uh, in to the job of Prime Minister 
never realising uh, what it is to be a national leader. And he's way off the pace in that regard. And here is Boris Johnson defending Dominic Cummings. I think he followed the instincts of every father and every parent. And I do not mark him down for that. And though there have been many other allegations about what happened when he was in self-isolation and thereafter, some of them palpably false, I believe that in every respect he has acted responsibly and legally and with integrity. John, we've had this saga going on uh, within 10 Downing Street uh, around the the decoration of the the, the private quarters uh, of the prime minister and and his partner wallpaper gate uh, it is is being referred to here's Keir Starmer summing it all up quite succinctly he's spending his time doing this is a prime minister who during the pandemic was nipping out of meetings to choose wallpaper at 840 pounds a roll a roll last week just last week he spent his time phoning journalists to moan about his old friend Dominic Cummings. And he's telling the civil service to find out who paid for the redecoration in his flat. The cabinet secretary has been asked to investigate who paid for the refurbishments in the flat. Why doesn't the Prime Minister just tell him? That would be the end of the investigation. We had this in the past here, I suppose, with with issues around Bertie O'Hearn's curtains and so on as a fort. Uh, has this incident damaged Boris or is it a kind of a bit of tittle-tattle on the side? Um, obviously, his supporters will argue the few that he has or who are prepared to, to, to bet the farm on him now uh, will say it's tittle-tattle. But history teaches us these things become problems when the national mood is negative, when there's difficulty, when there's crisis. When when the tide is out, when things are going against you, Boris Johnson, uh, somebody bankrolling him to spend 850 quid per roll on wallpaper is really bad news and it's damaging. Speaking of twitching curtains then, Matt Hancock, the, the, the health secretary in the midst of, of a pandemic, caught on CCTV in a amorous clinch. Uh, with one with, of his advisors. His yeah. advisor. So a lot of advisors seem to depart from from under this administration. Again, Johnson kind of stands by him, then doesn't and dumps him as quick as he can. And he probably just should have dumped him day one. And that that is a difficulty uh, that he has had. He has been slow to act on on a lot of things. Cummings, whom we've mentioned, certainly Matt Hancock, uh, absolutely ridiculous. On your question about Mr. Hancock, the former health secretary, let me just go back to what I said uh, many, many times, and uh, I think I said on the floor of the House of Commons, uh, which was that uh, we read about, and you, know, I think you read about, we all read about the story concerning Mr. Hancock and uh, and and uh, CCTV and so forth on, I think, the Friday, and we had a new health secretary on the Saturday. And considering that we are in the middle of a global pandemic, and it's quite a thing to move your health secretary. Uh, Mr. Bryant, I think that was quite fast going, if I may say so. And that's all I have to say on that matter. I suppose, given uh, Boris's uh, previous in in the amor- uh, in the amorous stakes, it might have looked pretty uh, hypocritical if he had moved swiftly and dumped uh, Matt Hancock. But uh, it it is 
absolutely catastrophic having somebody, having that type scenario emerge. And the big problem is the government do not look serious. They do not look capable of coping with the current uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking of advisors, uh, Peppa Pig has been effectively recruited as well. Now, quite serious here. He's addressing British business. They're coping with the pandemic. They're coping with with Brexit. He's addressing effectively what we have on on this side of the IRC, IBEC, at their their main conference. And he suddenly loses track of, of his notes, segues off into Peppa Pig. It does go back to that competence issue there, doesn't it? Certainly. And there again, a competent speech delivered to uh, the the captains of industry is kind of neither here nor there. It's a business page story. It's it's a longer term confidence in government and the relationship with business type story. But if you make a mess of it, suddenly it becomes big news. It harks back to Boris Johnson's uh, penchant for winging it. Uh, For not doing the required amount of preparation. Forgive me. Forgive me. Arguably, he was looking at that speech perhaps for the first time. He completely lost his place in it, uh, couldn't regain. And uh, anybody who has done even a little bit of public speaking knows that seconds seem like hours when when you mess up like that. And he tried his efforts to to try to exit from that by extemporising about his visit to Peppa Pig were even more disastrous. Of course, I mean, among the the howlers in that were that uh, the the Peppa Pig franchise had been sold and was no longer the uh, shining example of British creativity and business innovation. John, none of this, though, is is a surprise to people who who know and observe Boris Johnson through the decades. And you're one of those. You you know him from your days and his days back in Brussels. Yeah, he uh, arrived in Brussels in March 1989. I landed up there uh, some weeks later in, in the summer of 1989, and he was there till 92, 93. We all certainly really got to know quite a lot about Boris. Uh, a colleague of his at the time on the Telegraph, he was the quote-unquote common market correspondent of the Telegraph because, of course, the Telegraph refused to see, uh, quite europhobic and refused to see the European Union as anything other than a common market. Uh, Sonia Parnell has written a rather good book about him where she compares him to a character from uh, P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, Woodhouse, of course, gave us uh, Jeeves and Bertie and all of that jolly ho-ho. And a, a guy who could wing it, who could bluster his way in and out of situations, uh, a guy with considerable charm when he wanted, a sense of comic timing, uh, by no means stupid, but terminally lazy. The Benny Hill of British journalism, he was was once dubbed. That's a woman called Melina Mercury, who was very famous. She was a movie star uh, from the 60s and was quite big in Hollywood in her day. By the uh, the early 90s, she was the uh, Minister for Culture in Greece and a great ambassador for the Greek uh, nation. And she once publicly, he stood and asked her a question at a press conference and she said, oh, what's your name again? And then she said, oh, yes, I know you. You're the Benny Hill of British journalism. 
How did you find him in, on on a personal level? I mean, you you were you, you were frequenting the same summits, daily daily briefings, Brussels, that the European quarter of Brussels. You, you can't really miss uh, no. getting to know people there. No, you can't. It was a small, pretty small group of people, particularly the English speaking press. And uh, look, he was all right. He was sociable enough and polite enough at times, but. Uh, you know, you always felt he it was he was always rampantly looking out for number one. Uh, originally, he got all his colleagues to help him for uh, for long periods, doing the sort of helpless poor me. I I don't really I'm not really up to this. And then, of course, he found they found that this was all an act that he was perfectly competent and that he was he was pursuing an agenda which was. Uh, Eurosceptic, even though he's the son of a Eurocrat, he's a, a former. He was educated in Brussels, lived in Brussels for some years, uh, went, went to the European School in Brussels, and so on. Uh, arguably, at heart, is rather pro-Europe, or was at one stage in his life. But he was writing these stories, which were just on the limits of acceptability uh difficult uh, difficult to pin down a lot of them were quite frankly just made up or seriously exaggerated and then after he leaves journalism goes into politics he swings back again then and becomes pro-european for a period he uh he was for a brief period an mp then he was a two-term mayor of london with some success including uh carrying uh, be, being a standard bearer for the london olympics uh so he, in that job that was a job that kind of suited him he had a good team around him a uh, good team of advisors and uh, he seemed to give them their head that that is the assessment of him in that period of his life his personal life, though, is is constantly is a, under speculation and spotlight. One one would would have to say there seems to be a, a series of extramarital affairs. How come you're prepared to comment on other people's children when you won't talk about your own? Well, actually, I don't comment on other you, people's I'm, children. And, I've got and, to read it again to yeah. you. Are you serious? The children are ill-raised, yeah. ignorant, aggressive and illegitimate. Well, you know, uh, I think what people want to hear is what plans. No, there we is a have. trust issue, Mr. Uh, Johnson. Uh, that people want to... How many children do you have? Look, I, um, I love I my question. children very much, but they are, not, are they are not standing at this election. No. And, and I'm not, uh, therefore, going to comment on... Are you fully and wholly involved in all their lives? I, you know, I, 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 I love my children very much, but they're not standing at this I election. I but I put these questions great respect, to you. Great respect to we also you. have these no, instances no. where people ask him how many children he has and they never quite get a straight answer. Do you see that as somebody who, who, is, who is a very private person or somebody who doesn't really want people to know exactly what he gets up to. Well, he's just quite a lad, isn't he? I mean, he's he's a philanderer, a serial philanderer, has been for all of his adult life. Uh, In the period uh, that I knew him in Brussels, he had been married to his uh, college sweetheart, Allegra, and then he, he later, there were, other other incidents, but but he married um, Marina, uh, his his second wife, a very high powered and very accomplished European lawyer, uh, living in Brussels. Um, 
the count, I believe, is seven children. The biography, pretty authoritative and and rather sympathetic biography by the English investigative journalist Tom Bauer had it at six and just the six children and just the other day, his uh, most recent partner, who's pretty much half his age, uh, had uh, another child, bringing it, bringing the number to seven. So, John, he is pretty much defined now as a, a Eurosceptic, the man who did play a prominent part ultimately when he ultimately decided what way he would go on the in the Brexit referendum. Uh, he claims he, since becoming prime minister, he got got Brexit done. So it, it has been a, a, a defining moment for for him and and his career. Uh, getting him to num- number 10 uh, Downing Street. Do you do you feel, do you worry that Brexit now becomes a potential battleground uh, for him uh, to distract from, from other issues uh, and ultimately that brings Ireland, Article 16 and, and the border into focus? Yeah, certainly. And there's solid evidence. It's not just a worry about the future. If you look at the past record on this, uh, every time he got into difficulty, he, he he bashed Brussels and found that that played pretty well, not just to the Tory base, but to much of Middle England as well. Uh, we are now at a phase where a, a lot of the uh, to- pro-Tory British press, which is more or less the majority of the British press, uh, is blaming not Brexit itself for the difficulties that Britain faces. It's blaming particularly Brussels and France and Germany uh, for being mean to Britain and being unfair to Britain in in a post-Brexit world. It's absolutely ludicrous. They brought this on themselves and they they did it. he is busy trying to backpedal on something that he personally signed up to and lauded. Post-Brexit arrangements, a withdrawal agreement, which gave special trade status to Northern Ireland, copper fastened again by an agreement on the future relationship and the establishment of a free trade area on quite generous terms, allowing the UK continued access to the EU single market of 350, um, 400 million people. So... There is that uh, danger. He's busy trying to revisit Northern Ireland's special trade status saying, now trying to say, yes, we agreed it, but we didn't think it was going to be applied in this way. It has been unfairly applied. It has to be fundamentally revisited. And there are contradictory signs from time to time that he may just quietly uh, eventually accept uh, some cosmetics and, and a tidy up and fall into line and implement the agreements to which he freely signed up. Uh, But as soon as uh, those kind of signs uh, tend to make it uh, into the ether, there's some kind of a head throw again where there are threats again. Finally, uh, Boris Johnson, December of 2022. Do you think he will still be uh, Prime Minister? He's on a very dangerous corner. He hasn't grown into this job is only now realising that the loyalty of the backbenchers is conditional and they are by now very sceptical about him. Personally, I think he may weather this one. In another six months, will we still have Boris Johnson Prime Minister? I think perhaps not. 
I'm Fiona Sheehan and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound design by John Smith. Clips courtesy of the BBC News, ITV News, Channel 4 News and LBC Radio. You can follow the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>